Hey, you are tuned into the Bold Church podcast. My name is Yasmin Ruhi. I am one of the lead pastors here. We're so excited that you can join us for today's talk. We hope it blesses you. We hope it encourages you. And if you find it useful, go ahead and send it to someone else whose day you can bless. If you want to join us, we meet live every Sunday morning. If you want to find out our times or where we're meeting, head to our website at bold.church or head to our Instagram at boldchurch. SV. Thank you so much and enjoy today's talk. Good morning. Good. Who is excited for church today? In one week, we get to have our Super Bowl for Christianity. Who's excited for Easter? Come on. Here's a better question. Who are you inviting? Because we are doing two services, 9 and 11 a.m. Uh, before we begin, let me just give you a few announcements to hype you up. Next Friday, we are having our very first Good Friday service. Why? Because we've never had a building before. So we can do whatever we want. Easter is two services. If you show up at 10 a.m., I will be in the middle of my sermon. Good luck with that one. Uh, and then the fall, in two weeks after Easter, or the week after Easter, we are doing child dedications. A lot of moms in the room that maybe your mom for the first time, maybe for the second time, this is a great, or a third time for some of you. God bless you. They need prayer. You want to dedicate your child. That is the perfect weekend. And that same weekend, the 16th, is for those that want to join this church, that you've been coming for a while, and you want to think, what's my next step in this community? Do do you just want me to come on Sundays? Do I go to groups? No, no, We ask everyone, no matter where you are on the journey of faith, whether you are still exploring Christianity or you are coming to our church as a Christian, your first step is growth track. And then on the 23rd, it is a party up in here. We're baptizing three people in the name of Jesus. Come on, you don't, don't want to miss it. If, if, if you're new, again, I'll, I'll just tell you, the best way to take step for your first step in community is by filling out this Connect card. And uh, We are concluding a collection of talks today that I just titled uh, The Best Way to Die. And the, really the heart behind this series or this collection of talks is really a year ago I was in the room when my father died. And it hit me. And the way it struck me, a a collection of talks just birthed out of it. And week one of this collection of talks is, don't be scared. That what we call death, heaven calls birth. And then the following week, Pastor Layla, our guest speaker, she crushed it. She taught us, don't be afraid of death, be afraid of God. Because when you live in fear of man or you live in fear of anything other than God, you'll never fulfill the calling for your life. And then last, last week, I... I explained the feeling, the, the sentiment that my dad had going into that room. And he had hunger for more life, but how do you die full? Today is, 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 is very similar. I, I just need to share this leadership principle. It's this. It's uh, don't share your wounds, share your scars. So the first three talks are what my dad went through. This one is about what I went through. Because his death impacted me in a way I, I don't want to live that way. I walked in that room and said goodbye to my dad, but I walked out different. What I mean by this is wounds are are, are things that I struggle with, things that I've been dealing with my whole life. But I don't want to share wounds with you because if I I show them to you, you're going to get infected by them. A scar, though, is different. A scar is something God's healed me of, and I want to show you his power in my life. Sometimes as Christians, we're we're crazy. We, We share things as if we've been through them. We're not. And, and this, is, this is one of those talks where I'm not preaching to you today. I'm preaching to the healed version of me. 
And I'm hoping through my embarrassing stories, it's going to help some people this morning. There's only a few times on Sunday I'm going to give you permission to laugh. I'm not going to throw something at you. But I'm going to show you some pictures. You're allowed to laugh, and I won't, I won't get offended, okay? But if you have your Bible, go with me to Genesis chapter 27. Before we jump in at verse 11, I need to give you some backstory. There's a guy named Jacob, and he's talking to his mom, Rebecca. You need to understand the, this family of origin. There's a husband and wife called Isaac and Rebecca. And this couple have twins. Anyone ever see that, sh- that movie from the 90s, Twins, with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito? They were biological twins, but they look nothing alike, right? And he made this amazing movie. They're on the cover, they're both wearing like gray suits. And one's like 6'4 and muscular, and one's like a Oompa Loompa right next to him, right? This is the Old Testament version of Twins, that movie. There are two brothers, and they are twins, but they are nothing alike. One is 6'4", is the varsity football player, captain of the team, can throw a spear 50 yards. He is the firstborn. His name is Esau. And the Bible says that he has red hair. He's literally an Old Testament version of Elmo, who's six foot tall. And then he's got a brother. His brother is, is Jacob. And Jacob is, is not an outdoorsy kind of guy. He loves to bake bread, you know. He's got no dirt under his fingernails. He gets a mani and petty every week. We love him. He's got a mood board for how he wants to design his room. And when you go into his closet, all the white shirts are, are right next to each other, then the grays. He's that kind of dude, right? There's nothing wrong with that. He's just, he's just different. And the problem with these two brothers is that the parents favor one of the kids versus the other. The dad loves the outdoor guy, Esau, and loves him and blesses him. But the mom, she loves the younger. And there's this tension, this, this, this favoritism in the family that literally the kids know and it causes them to have competition with one another. Instead of holding each other up, instead of encouraging one another, they're competing with one another. And Isaac, the dad, is near death. And he's like, son, Esau, come here. Go kill some game. Go, go cook me some tacos. And then I'm going to give you my blessing. And you got to understand, in Jewish culture, it's very different than American culture. In our culture, we have what's called a will. So I give you a part of my inheritance. I give you part of my blessing. I, and I divide up. And you would think with two kids, it gets 50-50. In that culture, it's 100% and zero. So when Isaac's saying, go get me some game, he's going, I'm going to give you all of my blessing because you're my favorite. And the mom hears this. And because Esau is not her favorite, she goes to her son and says, I need you to to play actor for a little bit. I need you to pretend that you're your brother. Even though he's six foot and he's tall and muscular and you're kind of thick around the waist, that's okay, don't don't worry, we'll pretend. And you're probably wondering, how in the world are Danny DeVito going to pretend he's Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, the dad's blind. And he's losing his hearing. And he's been in bed and he's close to death so you can trick him. And that's the context that we find ourselves in. And in verse 11, when someone sees on the screen, someone say, Amen. Amen. Jacob said to Rebecca, his mom, But my brother Esau is a hairy man. And while I have smooth skin, what if my, my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring a curse on myself rather than a blessing. He's not ashamed of sinning. He's ashamed of getting caught. Let's just be honest, right? He's okay with lying. 
He's just not okay with getting caught. Some of you are dangerously close to his attitude. Verse 15, then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her, her younger son, Jake. Let me tell you, the con- he is a 30-year-old man that his mom is undressing. This is wrong on so many levels, right? If you're still dressing your son, and he's already gone through puberty, you're, you're too late. It's, it, it's, it, this is not a parenting sermon, but I just need to call that out. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with, with the goat skins. Then she handed her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, my father. And his father said, yes, my son. And look at what he says. I need you to underline these three words. Who is it? Another way of saying it is, who are you? I need you to remember this phrase. Because I'm going to come back to this at the end of my sermon. And I'm going to tie it all together. His dad's like, you don't sound like my son. Who are you? And Jacob lies to his dad and he gets the blessing. And for the next 20 years of this man's life, he is blessed beyond compare. He's got not one wife, but two. We call that a curse today, but back then that's what they did, okay? He's got 12 sons, daughters. He's got crops and uh, flocks of herds. This man is so blessed with real estate that they name a country after him. Israel. This man is so blessed that he lives 147 years old. And I just have to wonder. It doesn't pass my imagination if he, for the next 20 years, wonders, am I blessed because I lied or because I did it myself? Did I really earn all this that I got in my life? See, Jacob, he's a poser. And I think there are people in this room that you have been going through life pretending to be something you're not. Hoping if I behave this way, then God will love me. Imagine this son thinking he's got to pretend to be someone he's not so that his dad will love him. And he knows it. The title of my sermon today is simply this. Don't die a poser. Don't die a poser. You want to, the best way to die is by being you. All of the brokenness, all of the imperfection, because God uses it. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to pray before we begin. God, thank you so much, Lord, that you are here. God, thank you for the worship team that prepared our hearts for this morning. God, I'm praying that your word's going to speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you so much that you have us here. We thank you so much that you're going to speak to us. Spirit of God, would you do something on the inside of us? Jesus, would you set us free from our fear of being us, from the way you created us. We want freedom this morning. God, break chains, break mindsets that are holding us back. You created us to be a certain way. Allow us to walk in it. God, you called me a masterpiece, and I don't feel that way. Speak to us. Change us. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. And everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Can we give God a shout this morning? Come on. In high school, I had a group of friends. We called ourselves the tree group. Very creative because we literally hung out by a tree in high school. And uh, there was, uh, there's nine of us and back in high school, but there's eight of us today. One of us got excommunicated from the group. He, he chose to leave. And part of it was because he would tell these little white lies in high school, like his parents were wealthier than they really were, or he, he got better grades than he really did. And, and at the time, he was our friend, so we didn't care. We're like, come on, bro, you, we know. 
We love you, but we know. And uh, back in, in early 2001, some of you don't remember this because you were just born. God bless you. But there was this thing that dinosaurs used called the radio. I'm not sure if you ever heard this thing. But you didn't get to pick the song. Someone picked it for you. And then if you didn't like it, you just had to sit there and suffer. And back in 2001, I don't listen to radio. I haven't listened to radio in a decade. There's this station called Wild 94.9. Come on. Some of you know. Some of you are still living that Wild 94.9 life. We love you. And they would do this monthly segment called Wild and Out. And they would shame five people from San Jose that got caught committing some crime. And they go, look at this idiot. And they'd blast them on this radio show. And one morning, I get a text message in our group text that one of our friends from high school, one of the guys in the true group was in on the radio. And apparently, he was actually an, a clerk in the DA office in SF. He was actually underneath Kamala Harris before she became the vice president. He worked with her. He would bring her coffee. He would make photocopies for her. But there was an open rec in the DA office for an assistant to the DA. So imagine for four years, we think he's in law school. He's about to be like on the fast track to be the DA of SF. He applies for this position, and they run a background check on him. Not only has he never taken the bar exam, he wasn't even in law school. And he got fired. And he was so embarrassed, he stopped hanging out with us. And it's so easy to judge my friend. But the only difference between him and Jacob is Jacob didn't get caught. And my friend did. I'm believing there are people in this room that you're pretending to be someone you're not and you just haven't been caught. Uh, if you've ever dealt with imposter syndrome, anyone ever heard of imposter syndrome? Okay, five of you. By the next five minutes, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I struggle with that. Let me read you a definition. Imposter syndrome is this. Imposter syndrome is the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or believing you are not as competent as others perceive you to be. So even when you don't lie and you're in a room, you're like, I shouldn't be here. The experience of feeling like a phony, as though at any moment you are going to be found out. I wonder in this room this morning if anyone feels like a phony. If anyone feels like if they really saw me for who I really was, the mistake that I am, the incompetent person I am, they wouldn't love me. Let me tell you, there's not enough gel in the world to, to cover your, your phoniness, who you really are. There's, there's, there's not enough flashy Gucci shoes to hide who you really are. There's, there's not a, a Tesla shiny enough to hide the real you. Yet many of you in this room, you walk around with feelings of insecurity, insufficiency, and you feel like a phony. If that's not you, that's that definitely me. Uh, from the day one that I started this church, I have felt, God, you are crazy. Why would you ever have me start this church? And there are often sermons that I preach that, that they are often not for you. They are first for me. Can I tell you? Can I tell you how crazy it is that God has broken men preach sermons for him? If, it, if I were God, I would pick angels. Why, Pastor Ali? They're perfect. They fly. Like, like I would listen to anyone who flies. Right? I'm, you got my attention. I am imperfect. I am broken. And maximum, I'm going to live 100 years. 
but I have too much bacon, so I'm going to be well short of that. <laughs> so not only am I broken, I have a finite amount of time. I have to speak on the behalf of someone who not only is infinite, but they're perfect. How small do you think I feel? And then there are times, listen, faith comes by what? Hearing. Can I tell you, I, I, my dream is for everyone in this church to preach a sermon, to realize how much faith you need. It takes way more faith to, to speak faith than to hear it. There are times I'm preaching and I'm like, I don't even know if I believe this myself. And there are times I have to say amen because I need that sermon more than you do. And if you walk long enough with imposter syndrome, when you continue to feel like you're not worthy, you continue to feel like you're a fake, when you continue to feel that you don't match up or that you're an imposter and that you're not someone that everyone thinks that you are, one of two things will happen. Paralysis or perfection. Paralysis, it means you push people away. You don't want them to see you, so you're socially distant. You're around people, but they never see the real you because you're always living with a mask on. Because you don't want them to, because if they see the real you, then they won't really love you. The other side of that is not just paralysis, but perfectionism. You, you have these lofty goals, these goals that are impossible, and you are a workaholic trying to achieve the status of what everyone thinks that you are. You are either paralysis or perfection. Let me tell you what I am. I am definitely a workaholic. From the moment we started this church, I have felt this weight that I can't, I, I am the wrong guy, God. I have read a hundred books a year for five straight years. Listen, I don't love books. I feel inadequate. I spend sometimes 25, 30 hours a week trying to create a home run sermon every week because of the pressure of trying to live up to what you think that I am. And the only one that suffers is not you. It's my wife, my kids, and my mental health. Because I'm trying to be someone that I'm not. Perfectionism. I wonder, though, how it shows up in your life. Uh, many of the parents in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your kids, when they're small, they idolize you. There are three fa phases of parenting, let me tell you. Let me warn some of you kids with little ones that don't walk. They're going to idolize you, then they're going to demonize you, and then they're going to empathize with you. <laughs> Just, just warning you. I've seen it in myself, saw it in my wife. It they, there will be an age where you are Superman to them. And then they see you have not a six-pack, but a, 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 a tire around your waist. And they're like, you're not who I thought you were. You're not who I... And then they won't apologize until they have kids. They're like, oh my gosh, you want that bad dad. Let me tell you. My daughter wrote me this letter as if I'm her here. Daddy, I'm sorry. This is, I had to be going on a business trip. This is her first time she wrote me a love letter. She says, Daddy, I'm so sorry they get to miss Zoe's birthday. I was in Texas for her birthday, but I will always love you. XO, XO, XO. Zoe wrote one too, but I didn't want to bring it in fear that it will get burned because hers says, you are the best and wisest daddy. We totally love you more than mommy. That it exists. I just don't want to bring it for fear of it getting destroyed. But as a parent, it's so easy to see your kid idolize you, see you as a hero, and at the whole time you feel like, man, just wait till you grow up and you see me for who I really am. You will not think that. 
And many parents live their whole life as a phony, never allowing their kids to see their weak, never allowing their kids to see them suffer, never allow. My dad, for 30 years, never cried in front of me. And now I don't cry. My wife and I will get into arguments and she's crying. I'm like, what's that water coming out of your eyes? Because I don't, I don't get emotional. I never saw my father get cry. For some of you, it's not paralysis in your parenting. It's perfectionism. Pastor my kids already hate me. And you describe yourself as a terrible parent. And the reality is you're not that bad. God was the perfect parent and still Adam and Eve rebelled against him. You beat yourself up when you're trying your best. Are your kids alive? You're doing good. Did they walk out of the house with clothes on? Boom, bonus. If you're a church, you are a super parent. You should give yourself a round of applause. You are not that bad. You are, and, the, and the fact that you beat yourself up is a sign that you live with imposter syndrome. Because you're comparing yourself to this facade of what you think you should be. What about, what about uh, all the students in here? Anyone ever overstudy? Not because you want to learn, but because you want the, the status what's associated with an A. I remember one time there was this kid in high school or college, we were in college. I'm like, hey, what'd you get on the score? And I thought he said 84, but he said 94. I'm like, 84? He was like, no. <laughs> like I almost cussed him out. He's like, 84, I would die. And he wasn't learning. He was killing himself to achieve a status that he thought, if I had an A, then you'd love me more. Then you'll appreciate me. Then I'll get my father's blessing. And many people overwork in high school and in college, not because they're hungry to learn, but because they're working for an identity. And when you can't get it with hard work, you know what you do? Academic dishonesty. You'll cheat or you take Adderall to achieve what you can't achieve on your own. Because like Esau, you're not comfortable not being the strongest and the smartest. So you'll lie to be something you're not. What about as a Christian? Uh, some of you are the only Christian in your family, and you know the pain that I experience every time there's a family gathering, everyone looks at you to pray. <laughs> Birthdays, holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Pastor, you, you pray, you pray. It's like I pray every day. I don't want to pray. I'm on vacation. You pray. But if I say that, they won't think I'm holy or spiritual. It's like, oh my gosh, you're one of those? Oh, I bet no one goes to your church. It's like, dude, I'm just tired. You pray. But I can't say that, especially during funerals. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, he's about to die. Pray for him, Pastor Ali. Maybe he'll get healed. It's like, dude, I'm not a miracle worker. But if I say that, then they won't see me as spiritual. So I pretend to be something that I'm not. What about as a Christian? You're the only one in your family, and you're trying to walk with God, but you've crossed some lines with your girlfriend. And now, you believe that, but you did what? And then you'll be in worship on Sunday, and you'll raise your hands, and the, the devil will whisper in your ear, really, going to raise your hands after you raised them last night to your kids? You're going to say blessings to God after you cussed your wife out? Really? really? You're going to say that? And the enemy will remind you who you are because you're trying to pretend to be something else. See, all of us, in my opinion, struggle with imposter syndrome. You're in a room, but you don't feel like you deserve to be there. Whether you're a parent, a student, or you're in tech, or even in this room, can we be honest? 
And I want to help you break free of imposter syndrome. You guys ready for this? Listen, again, I'm telling you again, this was first for me before it was for anyone. And I want some of you to stop hiding behind the fakeness of who you are. To take off the mask and show the world you're not Esau. You're Jacob. And there ain't no shame in the game. Four things I want to give you this morning. Number one is this. There's a lie you have to reject. And the first one is this. I'm big and God is small. You live functionally this way. The reason you suffer with imposter syndrome is because you think it's dependent on you. And you have to be strong. You have to be big. You have to be intelligent. And actually what you're doing is you're making yourself bigger than God. And you have to reject this lie. Long before Jacob lied to his dad, long before he tricked his dad, he was actually tricking himself. And long before Rebecca turned her son into Kris Jenner and pimped her son out, It's a cultural reference for some of you who understand what I'm talking about. Look what God says about Jacob and Esau before they're born. This is Genesis chapter 25. The Lord said to her, Rebekah, two nations are in your room, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be the stronger than the other. One will be six foot, he'll throw a football, one will get manicure and pedicure. One can eat, kill a deer, one will eat some deer. And watch this, the older, someone say older, Older. will serve the younger. Before they were born, before Jacob had to lie, before Rebecca turned to Kris Jenner and schemed her way to her son's success, Jacob was the one that God wanted to bless. In Romans chapter 9, it says, Esau, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. That doesn't mean God hated Esau. It means to love less. He, He chose that the lineage of Jesus would come through Jacob. And the only person that Jacob was fooling his whole life was not other people. He tricked himself. God wanted to bless him from the beginning. Some of you will walk into rooms when you're promoted and you'll feel like, I I don't deserve to be here. Exactly. God, you didn't put yourself there. God did. If it depended on you, you would have to be a savior. But God is. So God was the one that placed you in this room. Let me explain it this way. Anyone love what teacher... Teacher Anna and Teacher Freddie are doing kids. Come on, I love them. They are teaching our kids about who God is. It's not childcare, it's leadership development. Amen? And uh, they're doing amazing things. And some of the things they're doing, I love and I hate at the same time. This is tension. They're teaching my kids scripture, which I love. But I hate at the same time because now they're quoting scripture to me. Because in my home, I don't know if sure if it's true, in my home, when it's 8 o'clock, I go, honey, it's time for bed. My kids here, ding, 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 let's get ready to rumble. You think I'm kidding? They literally rip their shirt off like the ultimate warrior and spend an hour arguing with me theologically why they're not supposed to go to bed. And five minutes in, I have my cool. I'm a pastor. I got it. I, honey, go to bed. 15 minutes in, my arms are crossed. I'm about to lose my salvation. And I'm like, you you need to go to bed now. And my wife was like, "Uh uh-oh. Honey, calm down. 20 minutes in, I'm about, I brought you into this world. I'm going to take you out. I made you. And my girl will be like, no, no, no. God made me for his glory. How do you argue with a six-year-old theologian that's quoting catechisms that are honestly the right, the right. 
Who made my kids? Me or God? And the answer is yes. I did about three minutes of work, okay? Don't take that away from me. But God, God determined before they were even born, she's going to have these parents, she's going to live in this time, in this country, with these gifts. God had a plan before she was born. But it's both. I wrote down like this. I might have done something to do this. But I haven't done anything to deserve this. Let me step into that thought for a moment. There are many couples in here that you're trying to have kids, but you don't have them. You're doing it. And the reason you don't have is not because I'm holier than you. It's because God, in his wisdom, hasn't chosen to give it to you. And it's not because I'm better. Because I didn't deserve it. That's the same thing with your promotion, it's the same thing with your gifting. When you are in an environment where you feel inadequate, you may have worked hard to get there, but God's the one that gave it to you. I'm not big, God is. You need to reject that lie. Some of you, you get a promotion at work, and you're like, I worked hard, Pastor Ali. Yes, and so did 30 other people. No, 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 Pastor Ali, I worked harder than all of them. Listen, listen, listen. You got to take a step back. Why did you get that job in the first place? Because I promise you a thousand people applied to that role and yet your resume had favor on it. Yet when the hiring manager was looking through all the resumes, he could have hired 10 other people and the job still would have been done, but he chose you. Don't take credit for what only God can do. You you may have worked hard. You may have done it, but you didn't deserve it. Because God allowed you to have those parents with those opportunities to go to that school, to get this job. And when you're in a place of promotion and you feel inadequate, you have forgotten who brought you there in the first place. You may have done it, but God was the one that gave it to you. This is why college students, they're so prideful. Like, oh my gosh, I was the one that got a 4.0. Yes, but you know that school, that degree had a thousand kids. A thousand kids with the same exact GPA, the same exact SAT score. Why did they choose you? They chose you because the favor of God was on your life. Because everyone's doing it, but you didn't deserve it. I wrote down like this. This is, I'm hoping will bring freedom to some of you. If you think you did it, something to earn it, then you have to keep doing it, keep up the facade. But if you know you did nothing to deserve it, then all you have to do is keep the faith. Just keep believing that God who's the one that brought you here, will get you there. If he did a miracle in life to get you to this point, he'll do another one to get you to that point. If he's the one that grew your business to here, he's the one that will grow your business to there. It's dependence on him. It's not that you're big. I don't care how strong, how big you are. Small and God is big. Look what it says in Proverbs 21, 31. It says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but, someone say but, but the victory belongs to the Lord. He said, you you can do all you can to have kids, but it's God who grants you that child. You can do all you want to work hard at work, but it's God who gives the promotion. You can do all you want to study and get the SAT scores, but it's God who allows you to go to that school. You can prepare the horse for battle. And listen, you won't have the child. You won't have the promotion. You won't get in school unless you do the hard work. But it's not about what you do. It's God, the one that gives you the victory. It's he's the one that gives the victory. And when you lie and steal and cheat, you're the one getting the victory. That's why you feel like a phony, because all of it depends on you. 
The second thing you have to embrace is this, the second truth. You have, there's a lie to reject and then a truth to embrace. I'm not great, but God's got grace. Let me say it again. I'm not great, but God's got grace. Uh, when we launched this church in September, September of 2017, it was immediate that obvious the hand of God was on this church. We went from 8 to 25 to 75 to 100 to 200 people in two short years. It was crazy the growth that we had. And then COVID happened. And then not only did we have to move from Sunday morning, we moved from Sunday morning and we moved five miles away to 5 p.m. And honestly, for a whole year, it was hard to break 65 people. And it didn't matter how I preached, it didn't matter what Ethan sang, it didn't matter what we did. We bought food trucks, we, we put $5 bills on chairs, come to church. <laughs> we, we did that one Sunday. We put $5 in the offering and said, go be generous to someone. We, we did everything, and it, it could not grow. And it begins to mess with you. Maybe it's not the church that sucks. Maybe I suck. In July of 2021, I went to one of my friend's churches in Las Vegas, 5,000 people, and I went in very, very insecure, very knowing how insufficient I was. Let's just use that word. And I remember I, I preached a message I had preached here before. I just took a sermon, one of my better ones. I got a few bangers a year, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and just brought it, and the response was overwhelming. Every service, this is not an exaggeration. I know preachers exaggerate. My wife's like, you're such an exaggerator. <laughs> let me, let me under-exaggerate. There were 50 people in line waiting to say thank you for the message I preached. There was one lady who told me that she came to church because it was the last chance she was going to give God before she took sleeping pills and committed suicide. And she said, because of your message, I'm going to stay alive for another day. I remember on Monday, I got this message from the pastor. I'll just read a portion of it. He said, good morning, brother. I hope you're, this is a gentleman at the church, and he's writing to the pastor of that church. He says, good morning, brother. Hope you're enjoying your vacation. It wasn't my vacation. It was the pastor of that church's vacation. I just witnessed one of the best services I've ever listened to. I'm leaving the parking lot here feeling truly inspired. Great job on bringing that hairy Persian pastor this week. <laughs> he went on to tell me that it saved his marriage. Let me just tell you, I'm not that. I'm not great, but God's got grace. Listen, if you ever want to bake, break imposter syndrome over you, not just in your weaknesses, but in your strengths, say, it ain't me. It, it's God. And it comes from Scripture. John the Baptist, he says this in John 1, verse 19. Now, this is John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but... Confess freely, I am not. Someone say, I am not. I am not. Notice he's describing what he's not versus what he is. I am not the Messiah. I'm not God. Some of you need to stop pretending like you are. Strong in everything. You're afraid to show your weaknesses. You're afraid to show your insufficiency. You're afraid to say, I'm weak here, but I'm kind of good at these things. John the Baptist, watch what he does. He's not afraid of describing what he's not good at. Look, the next verse. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? No. It's almost like he's comfortable being small, being weak, being who God created him to be. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer because we have no understanding of 
the way you're not boasting. There's crowds here. Aren't you amazing? He's like, no. Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? How would you describe yourself? John replied in these words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the pass. Make straight the way for the Lord. Here's what I love about John's testimony. It's nothing that he is and everything that he's not. Write this down. This is going to help you, some of you. Everything that you are not is there so you can point to everything Jesus is. Do you see it? God gave you weakness so that you can glorify in your meekness. God wants you to feel insufficient so you can say, it ain't me. I'm not great, but God's got grace. Now, let me use myself as an example. This is the very, very embarrassing part. Lord, help me. Every time someone new comes to our church, like, oh my gosh, Pastor Ali, you have like a good, fresh fit. Nice jacket, nice jeans. These are my wife's, by the way. I'm just kidding. But I'll get complimented. Like, oh my gosh, you dress nice, Pastor Ali. And it's like, no, 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 I don't. I have zero, and I mean negative, actually, fashion sense. Everything that I have, everything that I wear, my wife dresses me. And I'm not embarrassed to say that. Not that she literally puts my clothes on, although I pray for that day. (laughs) Honey, you can take my clothes off any time in Jesus' name. It's not that. It's that she helps me pick out my clothes. First time we get married, we come back from the honeymoon. She is standing in our closet. Says, honey, I need to talk to you. I'm like, what? What happened? And then she begins to proceed and take an article of clothing after article. And she's making, she doesn't tell me why. There's a pile. I'm like, honey, these are all clean. I already washed these. She's like, no, 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 no. These are all going to Goodwill. I said, what? Por qué? Became fluent in Spanish in two seconds. Por qué? Why? She's, and I, I'm quoting her. And she, time to get your grown man on. Time to get your grown man. I'm like, what? I was so offended. I'm not going to lie. I was so offended. I'm like, what? How would I have this? You're in my house, girl. What do you mean grown man on? Now I have some pictures to prove that I dress like a 12-year-old boy, okay? Picture number one, you are allowed to laugh. That is me and Clint. This is 2009. That was the first shirt she ripped off. I hate this T-shirt. And it wasn't because she's a Giants fan. It's because that shirt is three sizes too small. Get rid of this. Boys wear this shirt. You're a man. Listen, there are two things I need you to see about this picture. Number one, this shirt probably fits a 12-year-old, and I'm wearing it. And then number two, I don't have a beard. So that means if I ever come to church without a beard, that means one of two things. I am divorced, or Pastor Yasmin has passed away. But I'm not allowed to never have a beard and come to church. Just putting it out there. Let me tell you why. And I quote, you look handicapped without a beard. Okay, I love you, honey. (laughs) Next picture. This is me. Pastor Ali, why are you wearing an orange bandana? (laughs) Because red is for bloods, blue is for crips, Orange is for techie nerds, okay? I'll try to form a new gang. And thankfully, you cannot tell from this picture, but I have sticker diamond earrings. Why, Pastor Ali? I don't know. 
I don't know why I'm doing that. So when someone comes to me today and says, my goodness, you look good. I go, no, 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 no. It's not me. I'm secure in my insecurity. I'm okay in my weakness. And every time someone compliments me, it's an opportunity to praise the one who gave me that. Do you see it? Some of you hide your weakness. Some of you hide what you're not good at so that you rob God of his glory. Because when you show up to work with a smile on your face, when everyone else is stressed out, they go, how'd you do it? The joy of the Lord is my strength. When you can have cancer and your whole family's falling apart, how are you not freaking out? You can say, I'm a control freak just like everybody else, but God's got this. I wrote down like this, that, that's not your weakness. That's your testimony. That's not your weakness. That's your testimony. Some, though, some of you, though, will, will push back. And like, Pastor Al, you know, I, I tried to remove the mask and I failed. And Well, there's a mindset you need to adopt. Because Christianity is not about perfection. It's about progress. Here's the mindset you need to adopt. There's a difference between falling and failing, and it's training. Let me read you this, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Someone say training. They do not get a crown that will not last, but we, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I don't just have hope. I'm training. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will be not be disqualified for the prize. Has anyone ever seen a baby trying to walk for the very first time? And you're holding their hands and their legs are like shaking and they take one step and they fall. And if you're like me, like, oh my gosh, you're such a failure. <laughs> How do you live with yourself? Let me speak in your language. Ba 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 boo boo boo. You would never do that. Because you know that baby is training to walk. But you know what happens in training? Falling. When you're trying to get better at something, you're going to fail at it. But that's the difference. That's why some people don't understand. There are people that are trying to, to grow in their walk with God, and there are people that are just hoping. And they both fail. On the outside, it looks the same. Proverbs verse 24, verse 16, it says this. For the righteous falls down seven times. Someone say seven times. The man who goes to church and reads his Bible falls down seven times. The man who goes to small groups falls down seven times. The man who's, who's fasting and praying, seeking God, he is not perfect. He's going to fall down. But he rises again. It's a mindset. God's not done with me. And it's in this moment that you will feel like a poser because you're going to walk with God and you're going to fall down and the enemy will be, you ain't that. Look at you pretending to be that. And you got to say this to, to, to Satan. I'm not trying to be someone I'm not. I'm training to be someone I'm not yet. 
Don't judge me midway. Don't judge me as I'm still a work in progress. I do this terribly with Pastor Yasmin. If you love our merch or our prayer journals, all of them are designed by Pastor Yasmin. She does an amazing job. Can we just give it up for her for a second? And Pastor Yasmin cannot just preach because I can't wait to hear her. She's not just a prophet. Doesn't just know her scriptures. She's a crazy good designer. And there are times where I will give her a project and then I'll go into her office way before it's done, like 25% of the way. I'm like, can you show me what you're working on? And she'll show me the design. I'm like, ew, you're not using that font, are you? Ugh. Oh my gosh, please don't tell me you're using that color. She's like, get out, get out. Because as the designer, she knows the masterpiece is a work in progress. And some of you are letting Satan judge the masterpiece that's in progress. What's the difference, Pastor Allie, between a poser and someone who's not? This training has a plan. Trying has a hope. Let me get in your face a little bit. Some of you are going to be very offended. Send me an email at I'm not listening at boldchurch.com which is not even a real website, by the way. (laughs) Let's say, for example, you struggle with porn. If you really have a plan, you would remove your computer from your bedroom, you'd put content blockers on the computer, and then you'd call an accountability partner and say, I need you to call call me, because drunk people don't want to ask for help. You need to call me once a week and make sure that I'm walking the way I should be walking. But when you're trying, you're like, I'm going to try to go without telling anyone. I'm going to hide my struggle and hope that I don't fall. And both those men will fall. But because one has a plan, he'll find freedom. Let's talk about weed. I got five on it. I've never, so I don't even know what I'm talking about. But that doesn't mean I, I don't understand addictions. Listen, I know the lure of porn. I know the lure of alcohol. But if you really want to get set free of weed, you throw your stash away, you go to your phone, and you delete and block the number to your dealer, and you start confessing. Because one has a plan, and one hides a stash because I'm never going to use it, and has hope. They're both going to fail, though. What about in your marriage? What about when it's not producing the love and intimacy that you hope it would produce? Which is so interesting because people know if I want my my business to succeed, if I want my business to grow, I got to market my business. I need to get a return on investment. And you will invest and invest knowing the return on investment. It takes time. And it's so funny, we'll, we'll apply that principle to business, but we won't apply it to our marriage. When's the last time you bought your wife flowers outside of Valentine's Day? Listen, it's so funny to me that people will plan and put in their schedule, my dentist is important, my haircut is important, and they'll put it in their schedule. If your wife's important, you'll put her in her calendar. Because even though your marriage may not be where it should be, one person's hoping and one person is training. There is a difference. What about Christianity? It's so funny to me the way that we allow people to come to church and they don't change and then they bash on the church. We would never let them do that in any other sphere of life. 
imagine for the moment, I'm like, not my ideal weight that I want to be. I want to lose, let's say, 30, 40 pounds. Imagine if I went to the gym and stood next to people who worked out. And I, and I, and I, and I drank water next to the person who was on cardio. And I, and I changed in the gym next to the person who worked out hard. And I'm at the gym and I'm around them, but I'm not doing the hard work. Listen, some of you come to church, you don't give, you don't serve, you don't go groups, and then you wonder why you're not changing. You would never do that with the gym, but you do that with Jesus. Let me give you five things to make you have a plan that every Sunday, before you walk in this room, you have a plan. Watch this. Pray before you even get here. Say, God, I'm going to church because I want to leave different. Speak to me. When you're on the way, Don't listen to Tupac. Listen to something about Jesus. Prepare your heart. Don't let this be the only time you worship on Sunday morning. Take your Bible with you. I I need to underline that. I'm going to go read that when I go home. Take notes. I I I learned this in seminary. If you take notes in church, you're more likely to go to heaven. (laughs) For all of you that are new, it's like 95% more likely to happen, okay? Sing loudly like you mean it. And number four, expect. Someone say expect. Expect God to move. Maybe God's not moving because you don't expect him to. If you want to break imposter syndrome, you've got to reject the lie that you're big and God's small. You've got to adopt the truth that I'm not great, but God's got grace. And you have to have a mindset that there's a difference between falling and failing, and it's training. I'm, tra- I'm not there yet, but I'm trained to be that person that God's called me to be. And the last one is this. The best way to die is I'm done pretending. I'm done pretending. Let me read you this verse. If I can get the worship team to come up. Genesis chapter 32. This is 20 years after the fact. Jacob's about to see his brother. His brother, when he left the first time, said, I'm going to kill my brother. Because he stole my inheritance. And Jacob has not seen his brother in 20 years. And the night before he sees his brother, this is what happens. Then a man, someone say, a man. This is the God man, though. This is Jesus. At this church, we believe Jesus is fully God, fully man. That he entered human history this 2,000 years ago. And when he met Jacob in this, it was a Christophany. He had not become fully human yet. But he came... In the person of Jesus, God came in the person of Jesus, fully God, fully man. But in this is what's called a Christophany. Then Jesus said to him, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the man said, what is your name? Stop. That's not the first time we saw someone ask Jacob that question. We got to go back 20 years. Go back to Genesis chapter 27. His dad said this, who is it? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you, Jacob? And look at Jacob said that one time. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. I'm posing. I'm pretending to be something I'm not. No different than my high school friend. Pretending to be a DA for SF. 
pretended to be in law school. I'm Esau. What do you pretend to be? And here's God, 20 years later. Watch what Jesus says to him. The man, Jesus, asked him, what is your name? And Jacob, for the first time in his life, stops lying, stops pretending, stopped acting like he's got to be someone for God to love him. I'm Jacob, which means deceiver. I'm not the strongest. I'm not the smartest. I'm weak. I've had to lie and steal to get to the top. I'm Jacob. And I wonder what God's going to say to his honesty. Then God said to him, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Then he blessed him there. It's almost as if God said, man, I, I didn't come to shame you. I came to heal you. I came to remove the mask that you've been wearing. Because who I made you to be is perfect. You don't need to pretend. I see you who you, for, who you really are. You don't have to pretend with me. You don't have to pretend like you're smart, like you have it together. I see all the brokenness and I still love you. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping. Someone say limping. I need you to remember that. Because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. To this day, they still don't eat the tendon on the hip of an animal to honor what the wrestling match between Jacob and Jesus. And then look, before he has that wrestling match, look what Jacob prays. Verse 10. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Do you see the irony in this? What Jacob is saying is, the first time I ran from home, let me tell you, a staff is what shepherds used. In Psalm 23, it says, your, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because shepherds, they had a, a staff that had a hook on it to protect the sheep, to bring them back, to correct them. And then they'd flip it around. On this end, it was either a blunt end or a sharp. And they'd use it to get wolves and dogs away. That's what David means by your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because the rod represented, the staff represented not only protection, but authority. And Jacob, he's saying, the first time I left, I crossed this place. I crossed the Jordan. And the first time I had a shepherd's staff, but I didn't have any sheep. I was pretending. I was a poser. I was a fake. I fudged my resume. 
I pretended to be something that I'm not. I hid. But the second time I came back, I had a limp. You can't hide a limp. You can't put cologne on it. You can't put Gucci shoes on it to hide it. Doesn't matter if you roll up in, the, in this parking lot with a Tesla. We all know when you got a limp. And the limp represents who he was and who he is. See, the staff, the first time, was who he's pretending to be. And he tried to show himself as important. Oh, I'm a shepherd. Oh, I'm a somebody. Oh, look at me. And he lied as if he was Esau. The second time, the staff was not who he was pretending to be, but who he was depending on. I wrote like this. Now that he's limping, the staff went from a symbol of my importance to my dependence. The first time, it was about my identity. Look at me. Notice me. Look how awesome I am. Second time, is look what God can do in my life. I can't even walk. But I got two camps now. I may not be as strong as my brother. May not be as smart as him. But God uses broken people like me. When I was in the fourth grade, I remember my mom got called to the principal's office. And they broke the news to my mom that I was dyslexic. It was why I was struggling in school. And I remember third or fourth grade, and I'll never forget the words of that counselor. Your son will likely never graduate high school. And it's crazy to me. The one with reading and writing deficiency is the one writing a sermon every week. That's crazy to me. And I remember for 20 years, I hid my dyslexia. And I remember a couple years ago, I was reading this book by Malcolm Gladwell called David and Goliath. And he said, there's this weird phenomenon that we found in America. Did you know that 80% of entrepreneurs in America who are successful have dyslexia? Because their weakness is now a strength. They know what they can't do and they're not afraid. And so their lack allows them to achieve what you pretend to try. And I remember thinking, man, I've been hiding this thing my whole life, God. Maybe, just maybe, you wanted it in my life so you could show yourself strong. I remember I left high school with the staff saying, I'm going to do what you told me I can't do. And I remember I entered pastoring with a limp, saying, there's no way. There's no way. I wrote down like this. It's not that I can do this. It's I can't do this without God. I can't do this without God. I can't do this without God. I can't do this without. I can't, I can't lead my family without God. I can't pastor without God. I can't overcome my mental Ill issues without God. I can't break anxiety without God. I can't break depression without God. I cannot overcome addictions without God. I cannot love my kids and ha keep my salvation without God. Can never live the life that God called me to live without Him. I'm not afraid of my weakness. I don't need to pretend like I'm smart because I know I'm not.
My limp doesn't mean I'm fake. My limp is a mirror of who God is in my life. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes. God, I pray for every person in this room who can hear my voice, who they've been pretending, pretending they're strong, pretending they have it all together, pretending they're Esau, pretending they're the smartest, prettiest, skinniest, most beautiful person when we know that we're not. God, allow us to lean on you. God, allow us to embrace our limp. I'm not great, but God's got grace. God, I pray for every person in this room that can hear the sound of my
Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you want to follow us on social media and just stay up to our current events, our social media handle is Bold Church SV. That's Bold Church SV for Silicon Valley. We hope you stay blessed and we'll see you soon. Thank you.